0: Well, this is The New Activist, a show that features conversations with activists and leaders who are tackling some of the world's biggest humanitarian issues from the front lines of injustice. My name is Eddie Kaufholz. And today we have a very special episode where we spend time with the Asian American Christian Collaborative. The Asian American Christian Collaborative, AACC for short, is committed to amplifying the voices, issues, and histories of Asian Americans, both within the church and society at large. Specifically, in this season, the way that is manifesting itself is they have created a a statement, a movement, really, that is titled The Statement on Anti-Asian Racism in the Time of COVID-19. This statement says in part that we, the undersigned, join together as Asian-American Christians and community leaders to denounce the current rise in overt anti-Asian racism throughout our country. We call for an immediate end to xenophobic rhetoric, hate crimes and violence against our people and communities. And we invite all Americans to join us. They have asked people to sign and to raise their voice and to raise awareness. And today we are fortunate enough to speak with three of the drafters of this statement and the founders of the AACC, who you will hear from, and they will introduce themselves in a moment. But who you will hear from is Pastor Raymond Chang, who is also the president, Pastor Gabriel J. Katanas, who goes by Jay, which is why I call him that during the interview, and Reverend Dr. Jeff M. Liu. This 45 minutes was transformational for me and highly uh, helpful in understanding that during this pandemic, there are unique injustices that are happening, and there are also immediate opportunities for us to be able to respond, which is what we're going to talk about. I do hope you will lean in and listen to the fullness of this interview. Here is the conversation that I was really fortunate to have with Ray, Jeff, and Jay of the Asian American Christian Collaborative. Okay, so as we begin this, I hate to do a hacky interview thing and ask you all to introduce yourselves, but I, I, would, I would love to hear that, but also help orient the listeners to the different voices. So uh, why don't we do, Ray, would you please start?
1: Yeah. Hi, my name is Ray Chang. Uh, I'm the president of the Asian American Christian Collaborative. I also serve as a campus minister at Wheaton College and uh, in Illinois. Got it. All right,
0: we'll go around in the circle, although what we're all virtual, but uh, Jeff, you go ahead.
1: Hey, my name is
2: Jeff Leo, and I serve as the anti-racism resource specialist for AACC, and I work for InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. Awesome. And
0: Jay?
3: Hi, this is Jay Katanis. I am the director of ecclesial advocacy for the aacc and i am the lead pastor of garden city covenant church in chicago
0: great um you all are collectively a part of the asian american christian collaborative and uh, i'm curious if you would wouldn't mind defining that group as much as it can be defined and talk a bit about how it was formed sure
1: uh this is ray chang We are a group of uh, Asian American Christian leaders uh, from across the country that uh, really rallied together around uh, a statement that we wrote in, in order to address the anti-Asian racism that we've seen rise in during the time of uh, COVID nineteen. Uh, Jeff, Jay, and I were on a chat uh, late at night uh, a couple Thursdays ago, and. Uh, one of the things that we started noticing was how we had similar experiences around uh, anti-asian racism uh, in our various and respective communities and because of the common experiences that we had and a particular response to a post that was on jeff's uh, facebook wall uh, where he he was highlighting an incident of anti-asian racism Uh, And someone called him a snowflake or called the people that were responding to it a snowflake. We were just like, this is going to get dangerous. And we've seen this happen before. And we want to make sure that where the church can step in, especially the Asian American church can step in to help inform to educate and to help shape the minds and the and the lives of uh, Christians everywhere, especially for Asian American Christians, uh, that we should speak up and write something uh, to to address this issue, which we knew was only going to going to increase and uh, become more significant, and. Um, and one of the things that we we were seeing was uh, the research that was being done by uh, Dr. Russell Jung, who is out of San Francisco State University, who is collecting a bunch of data on anti-Asian racism. And by within the last two weeks of March, he found that Over a thousand people had self-reported racism directed at Asians, Uh, everything ranging from people yelling and spitting at people to to people getting stabbed and um, and and beaten. And so uh, so we just started adding people on this Facebook message. uh, And then within two or three days, we had the statement written. And then we had uh, kind of initial signatories uh, out. And then the next thing we know, we have over 9,000 signatures uh, two weeks later. And so uh, we've now formalized into an organization uh, that has been on the hearts of many of us uh, over several years where Asian American Christians can kind of Convene together to to address issues of justice and uh, issues of race together, and uh, and that's what we've kind of uh, we've launched in 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 the last week, and so we're really excited to be doing that and to to be here with you. So
0: the the public consciousness of of COVID nineteen starts, I guess, end of December of nineteen, and you know slowly, of course, there's this uptick to where we. Or, or a lot of us kind of really start to feel the personal effects of it of in, in March, April. You know, we're starting to quarantine at that point. But this statement comes out pretty early in March. This this statement, I mean, I, I start to hear rumblings of this pretty early. And so I, I guess I'm curious if you would help help me understand what is happening between December and this statement that is causing this uptick, this thousand and more cases of of racism to be documented?
2: Sure, well, I, th- I think when I try to take the long view, mm-hmm. I think what I see is that um, what was already in the water uh, is triggered or activated by um, the way we view things that happen abroad the way that we kind of view current events that are unfolding in china we have a particular way of viewing things to the east of us um, and um, it's been that way for a long time you know uh, so that the way that people eat uh, the things that they eat uh, those all become concerns or exotic strange and mysterious or mm. or even disturbing kinds of things for people who are watching from the West. And so uh, between December and now, I think some of us had the sense that, man, if if something's unfolding in Wuhan, China, and people view it a certain way, the way that they typically view it, it's going to lead to some kind of negative uh, stereotypes, negative feelings, negative thoughts about um, Chinese people or the East. And if it lands on our shores and if something develops on our shores, it's going to trigger a lot of thinking about the Asian community in the United States and everyone who's thought to be or considered to be or, or uh, falsely thought to be Chinese. Yeah. And so we watch this kind of thing unfolding.
0: So you've seen this happen before, right? Like you like you weren't overly surprised that that this kind of rhetoric was starting to make its way uh to the united states
2: i certainly wasn't i remember you know i i I was born in 79 grew up in the 80s and i remember a wave of anti-asian sentiment um, when the auto industry was a little bit depressed um so those of us whose families immigrated after immigration reform in 1965 that's really like uh, the 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 era in which there was a, a huge broad spike in anti-Asian sentiment. But before 1965, you know, there's plenty of American history that bears the same patterns of exoticization and ostracization out um, that we're experiencing today.
0: Yeah. If it's okay, I'd like to actually uh, go through the statement a little bit and kind of take some of the, I won't call them the main pieces, but parts of the statement that struck uh, that, that struck me um, and just try to help unpack some of that. So um, with your permission, do you mind if I read a little bit of it and then um, ask you some questions? I can't imagine my voice was the voice you were oh, hey. planning on when you wrote it, but here. <laughs> okay. <laughs> here I go. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, so, um, so one just says the early statement of it says to denounce the current rise in overt anti-Asian racism throughout our country. I, don't want to miss the overt anti-Asian racism. And in case anyone doesn't know, can you speak a little bit to the current anti-Asian racism that is happening? Can you can you name and tell us what what is happening?
3: Sure. Uh, this is Jay again in Chicago, and you know yeah, I appreciate yeah. the question. I think um, in, Asian Americans recognize themselves as mostly invisible through through history and in racial relations in the United States, which usually are considered to be on these poles of you know, white and black. And so Asian Americans also have not always had the most visible roles, especially in public sphere. And if you add to that, that we're also writing to and on behalf of many Asian American Christians, um, evangelicals not having the greatest track record in the public sphere either. You know, much of our experiences are invisible and in many ways even to Asian Americans themselves. So we wanted to not only tie to history what's happening in the present, but specifically name uh, the things that are happening in the present as racist, and um, to address and denounce these specific acts. You know, friends of ours, even in places like San Francisco, Oakland, where there are a very high concentration of Asian Americans, friends of mine there uh, were being uh, yelled at, uh, blamed for having or bringing the coronavirus, and Even being uh, spit upon, and you know when you hear those kind of things, and in light of everything that Ray and Jeff have both said, you know we had to, we had to speak up and do something because we know that the tendency of these things to escalate is common, and they did and have escalated. And you know, at the end of the first week of April, it was already at 1,100 self-reported incidents that Dr. Jung had um, received, and we haven't heard yet the report. From the end of the Holy Week, which was about you know April eleven, and yeah. expect that that is probably anywhere between twelve hundred to fifteen hundred um, incidents, and so that is the the current situation that we're trying to name and announce.
0: Yeah, and, and part of this too is I want to realize like this isn't just a a thing, and and I, um, let me preface by saying we're digging into the negative, but I will turn the corner in the statement for a moment, but I'm trying to get people to understand, and I'm trying to understand the severity of the issue, because part of this is, I don't want people to think that this was just a, this is a a new COVID-19 phenomenon. There's an uptick, and there's language, but can you tell me a little bit about the world, you know, pre-December 2019?
1: Yeah, I think all of us, uh, or many Asian Americans, I I wouldn't say every Asian American, but uh, many Asian Americans grew up with a sense that they were uh, targeted and isolated for their race, uh, and 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 even bullied uh, oftentimes. And so, you know, uh, Jeff was talking earlier about the ways in which our food is oftentimes viewed as less. Kind of american than anyone else's, and you know for me i can't separate my koreanness from my americanness right i'm a full-blooded korean american and that means that my korean american expression is a fully-blooded american expression it's as it's as american as a as as any white person as any black person as any uh any other asian person or uh or any other category you can think of because I've never, you know, uh, known myself to be not American. Uh, but mm-hmm. I've, because I've been categorized as another, you know, I think it's, it's always been this sense that I'm, I'm never American enough. And mm-hmm. that's been difficult and challenging. I think for uh, many Asian Americans who feel like they, they identify fully with this country, they f- identify fully with, you know, the, 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 the landscape that they're around and yet they feel homeless that they feel um like they're not they don't fully belong and so i think you know racism against asian americans is always uh always tends to fly under the weight or generally tends to fly under the radar uh yeah i mean it usually starts with humor uh, you know like it's for some reason racial slurs against asian americans is a lot more acceptable than racial slurs against other groups and we have to ask ourselves why why is it okay mm-hmm. for asian americans to be targeted in that way when um when it's not okay for other groups to be targeted as well especially when that that targeting has led to violence and uh, and to further marginalization and so i i, I mean all the, all the people that are on the call would be able to share something significant mm-hmm. about our own past. I mean, we talk about our lunchbox moment where, you know, I, I proudly bring my food, you know, that my mom cooked for me, uh, uh that's, that's cor- the, my Korean food to, right. you know, to, to school. And then I get made fun of it because it smells different. And I'm like, you know what smells funny is casserole. Right. It just doesn't, it doesn't smell normal to me. And yet I have to tolerate that because it's normal to people who are from a particular region in Europe or X, Y, and Z. And so I'm like, that doesn't make any sense because, you know, maybe, maybe some other parts of Europe uh, wouldn't have accepted that kind of food as well. But uh, within the racialized imagination of, uh, of the United States uh, and. It's it it kind of creates challenges uh, for us to feel like we are actually fully American, even though we identify ourselves as fully American.
2: I would add that you know if if you're looking for the kinds of interpersonal incidents that uh, might get reported in Dr. Jung's uh, study or data collection pool, um, each of us could share something like that. I, I have my own stories, even living here in Southern California. Um, but there are some more uh, insidious and perhaps more invisible statistics about, for example, Asian American mental health outcomes among university students where the compounding of our help se- seeking attitudes, but also the ways that we experience academic pressure um, from stereotypes that are active in the United States, um, hmm. they have real impacts on our physical bodies. And you're not gonna that's not gonna show up on the on the nightly news. Um, But uh, I've been working in uh, campus ministry for a long time, and the number of Asian Americans that experience negative mental health outcomes because of the pressures that they face um, directly due to issues of race in the United States is is so high and my heart breaks when I when I whenever I encounter that
0: yeah certainly and 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 then this kind of leads to a, a part of what you were also saying that um, it where this you wrote in the statement harmful tropes of yellow peril continue to be perpetuated by the news within institutional and popular portrayals of our people, our food and our customs as unsafe and unwelcome. I know you were talking about it a bit, but I've never heard the term yellow peril. can you unpack? can you unpack that term and help me understand what it looks like in popular media? And and sorry to continue to keep adding on to my own question, but I think sometimes when we're maybe having this conversation, we think this is just some fringe media and fringe people, but this really isn't fringe, is it? Like this is the 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 chewy center of what we are, what we're consuming. So sorry, that was like nine questions in one. So feel <laughs> free to just Take whatever yeah. you like.
2: <laughs> at, at the risk of talking too much, I, I, I yeah. you know, I'd love for your listeners to even just Google "yellow peril." I mean, yeah. there are things not related to the historical manifestation of this phrase, but there's also just a lot of American-made propaganda posters that you'll find. One mm. of the ones that sticks out to me is one in which um, there's a meeting being held in the Pacific Northwest, and it's run by um, some military personnel some local municipal uh, government leaders and it's hosted by a church um, and the organist is advertised as going to play so the collusion of the military uh and and the state and the church together to oppose the presence of asian americans in the pacific northwest uh, that's one of the uh, concrete manifestations of what we now refer to as this yellow peril sentiment Mm. but uh, th- that's one of the things you can find. There's many others, and I'd love to hear what my uh, my friends here would say.
3: Yeah, I'll add to that. You know, this is probably adding some personal anecdote too, but uh, social media, especially right now, because of the pandemic, has become sort of a public again. And, you know, I tried really hard over the last several months to get off of Facebook and to not use social media as much, but because we're all stuck inside, and as a pastor, this is where my people are, you know, we've, we've kind of returned to more active... Facebook use or social media use than than I would have wanted, but we're 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 here. And um a, a friend of mine who is a pastor in my former denomination, I won't say their name, but posted just right. last week a picture of a bat with a mouth wide open, you know, ready to bite or whatever. And then simply his own caption, not a meme that he found and reshared, but his own caption for that was this is not food. And you know, this is a, a pastor friend of mine who I used to do you know, joint ministry with. We used to serve the hungry in, in our Chicago neighborhood together. We had joint worship services. And, you know, just to hear that from him is an example of yellow peril. It's this idea that mm-hmm. really is, is legislated, especially when you're thinking about the Chinese Exclusion Act and other legislation that is specifically targeted to discriminate against Asian, especially East Asian, but Asian people. In the United States or from coming to the United States. And it's this sense that, you know, they're they're Asian people are not trustworthy, they're dirty. And um, even when you add what he said, um, and and interestingly, he and someone else, a person of color, began to debate about who's to say what kind of food is proper or not proper. Um, they started to bring in Bible verses. And so for a pastor to show the picture and then to also say this is not food is very theologically and spiritually loaded. He's expressing as a pastor, um, but also on behalf of and to church people, right? Saying what these people are supposedly eating, even though it's really not very common for, for Asian people to eat food like that. But regardless, you know, of nitpicking over whether they do or not, I think the combination, like Jeff said, of the church and American historical racism against Asian people is so potent. And I think that's what you're picking up, that we're trying to really uh, speak out against and, and call out in this statement.
1: Yeah, and I, I want to add to that too. With Yellow Peril, we're oftentimes equated to to either an invasion or a plague or or some form of attack that, uh, that Americans need to constantly be guarded against and to be protected against. And it's really hard when we ourselves uh, feel like we're trying to contribute to the solution but we're viewed as a problem. And even with the healthcare workers, I think one in uh, about 17% of them or one in somewhere between 10 and 20 are, are, are Asian American uh, and 17% of them are immigrants. And so imagine wiping out like either one out of every 10 or one out of every 20 uh, healthcare workers who are on the front lines, uh, serving and caring for those who are sick right now because they are perceived as a threat, and a lot of these healthcare workers are work are are wrestling with the the tension between wanting to help but also being uh, perceived as a threat simultaneously, just by virtue of them showing their eyes, right? Because their eyes are almond shaped, and so uh, so the the trope kind of just continues to. Um, to to contemporize in unique ways, and I think it really is harmful for uh, for our communities.
0: The the statement continues on to say, and again, I would hope people would read the whole statement. I'm just pulling out uh, parts that. I, I've found to be particularly curious, but it said, sadly, the current xenophobia surrounding COVID-19 is just the newest case study in America's history of depicting and treating Asian people as yellow peril. Um, and then the statement goes on to outline times in the U.S. history from 1882 until today um, that basically w- th- was just just a deep, dark history. And so I'm curious what that collective, deep, unanswered history can do to generations of Asian Americans.
3: Yeah, there is a lot more understanding now of what we call generational trauma, you know? And and I think that um, for us, we are already trying to highlight some of the challenges around the American race problem. You know, when we're writing in the statement, how many different ethnic groups are all part, lumped in together as what we just call Asian Americans, simply because they come from a continent. Um, that has maybe a third of the, the world's population. But in coming to the United States, they simply take on a new label that is you know, a lot narrower. Um, different ethnic groups have experienced discrimination in so many different forms. And I think um, it, it's not something that we grow up really learning about. Myself, I grew up in the suburbs of Chicago in the 1980s, but it wasn't until I went to the university that I really started to learn these things even about my, my own community. And, um, you know, the United States colonized or took control of the Philippines from Spain at the end of the 1800s, and it was because the president, you know, had a dream, had a vision, he said, from God that the United States as a Christian nation was called to go and civilize and Christianize these savages, these little brown brothers, um, who were half Mm. devil, half child, the way that Rudyard Kipling put that in the poem, White Man's Burden. You know, and so it's not just something that is directed to you or thought by others about you, but the way that this shapes education and formation of children, and then the way that one, you know, Raises up the next generation. It really does have an important effect on the psyche.
0: So, and and I promise this is this is the last one. But I did want to ask about this. Um, you write that seeing us raise our voices may challenge the long-held assumption that Asian Americans are so-called model minorities. Can can you all unpack that concept of model minorities and not only unpack it as a concept but what it means to to be thought of that way?
2: Yeah, I was talking about this I was alluding to this a little bit earlier yeah. when I talk about the kind of the pressures that folks feel. Yeah. Part of the pressure to be a model minority is to be a uh, is to be a so-called minority that doesn't have a problem with the way things are structured right now. Despite what you feel, despite even if you feel like or know that something is wrong, to be a model citizen about it is to not bring it up. And a lot of our Asian-American friends, brothers and sisters um, around the country, they have lived that way in order to survive, and others have drunk deeply of the American narrative that really there is no problem, Hmm. and um, there's nothing to be discovered about it. And, you know, those of us who do have a problem, have seen the problem, or have been directly impacted by either violence, rhetorical violence, physical violence, whatever, to speak out about it now will be disruptive for folks for however long have thought, well, there is no problem. And, and to ex- not expect Asian Americans to raise a problem because of what are they, whatever they see as our so-called accomplishments, achievements, or successes in the world, um, it further perpetuates this idea that that we have nothing to speak up against and nothing to complain about. And that compounding really creates even more repression, more pressure for us to stay silent, even when we know something's wrong.
1: No, and I, I think what ends up happening is that uh, we buy into some of the benefits that we receive, and so we we want to get more of the benefits, and so we fall in line with the model minority myth, and that's what it is. It's a myth. It's not reality, right? Uh, because there's major disparity between our, you know, within our own Asian American community. You know, for example. Um, Asian Americans have the widest uh, income gap uh, among all the four major racial groups right and so you have uh, a significant amount of wealth in one hand but then you also have a significant amount of poverty. but the stories of poverty are rarely told because of the model minority myth and then as a result there's there's not enough care that goes to the communities or the people within the communities that are really struggling through uh, from socioeconomic injustices or through the through the pains and the difficulties that emerge from from poverty itself. Uh, The other thing about the model minority myth is that it pushes us into cages that we become conditioned to accept, but have never wanted to choose in the, but never chose to begin with. And so, you know, it's imposed on us, not something that we choose on our own, even though it can be perceived that some people choose it because, again... When you fall in line with what the dominant society wants you to fall in line with, line with, you tend to get more of the rewards of society instead of when you're pushing against the unjust uh, structures and systems where you can get punished for it, and that happens from the broad systemic uh, realities, all, also all the way down to you know the the small organizational realities that 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 all of us kind of have have seen play out throughout our own careers or, you know, throughout our own lives. Um, And so I think one of the challenges is that, you know, for a long time, only a small section of Asian Americans were actually conscious around issues. And then a smaller section were willing to speak up against the injustices that not only plague our communities, but uh, but plague significantly the black and brown and, uh, and, and First Nation communities. And because of that, you know, we are perceived to be absent from the dialogue around issues of justice. And I think that's, that's a significant challenge that we're also facing as well. Yeah, I
3: just wanted to add to that what Ray said um, touches on one of the most important things we always have to name as Asian Americans is that the, the model minority myth is often used to divide people of color and minority groups over and against each other specifically to say, you know, there are no racial uh, discrepancies or disparities. The the system works, so to speak. If you just look at Asian Americans, right, something similar to this idea was espoused by Andrew Yang, you know, not long ago. But, um, you know, they have been able to work hard to keep their mouths shut, put their head down, go to school, you know, get an education and come up and, and do better for their children than they had for themselves. And it looks like the American dream, but there are so many other factors that go into that. But the myth is so strong that this is used, then, to, to say to Black and brown people and Native American people, you know, the system works. If you would just stop being lazy and just work mm-hmm. as hard as the as Asians, stop complaining, you know, and, and all of these things are tropes about every single group. Right. But there is a benefit, like Ray mentioned, that many Asian Americans do receive. Um, because they are seen as less threatening sometimes than other people of color. Obviously, now is not one of those times. Um, but also, I- even within the the ethnic communities that make up Asian America, you know, th- there are darker skinned Asian people in the United States, and there are people from poorer countries in Asia. But there is this myth that still informs the way a lot of non East Asians or South Asians or Southeast Asians are taught to think of themselves, you know. Um, we as refugees can come up, you know, and if we don't, it's our own fault because look at the Chinese, look at the Korean, and all of those things are far more complex than than we allow them to be mm-hmm. when yeah. we simply perpetuate this model minority stereotype and myth.
0: Yeah, what have you heard back from uh, from people of color, especially other uh leaders who, who from this statement what have they been saying to this what's the response been
1: i mean what's been amazing is that we've had an overwhelming support from a lot of uh leaders across the the, the breadth of theological convictions as well as uh racial categories and so we've been amazed to see i mean even if you just go onto the website www.asianamericanchristiancollaborative.com yeah. and you look at the signatories list you'll see that there's a uh, there's a category for Asian American signatories, then there's a category for friends of Asian Americans, and then there's institutional category. Yes. And one of the things that we've been amazed with is how, you know, just take the seminary world, for example. We've had friends from, uh, the, we've had presidents of Gordon Conwell, Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, a Fuller Seminary, um, Princeton Theological Seminary, uh deans of the Vanderbilt School of Divinity the president of uh Calvin Seminary uh the the Claremont School of Theology Pacific School of Religion you know uh constituents and faculty members from Union Seminary to Covenant uh, Theological Seminary these are not schools you normally see in conversation with each other right and they're all <laughs> they've all kind of put their names onto this document yeah. which shows that even if we have this different theological convictions about many different things. We can still come around, uh, certain issues in which we agree upon and lend our support and our name to it. The other piece of, uh, encouraging kind of news, I think, as we, as we were seeing these signatures, these, o- o- like 9,500 signatures or so kind of roll in, uh, is how, you know, black, brown, uh, and, and Native American, uh, Christian leaders were also signing on. Uh, and so we were encouraged to see the solidarity there take place. Um, and we were, d- we were deeply appreciative of this. But then we also did hear, you know, and rightfully so, criticism from a lot of African-American uh, Christian leaders, as well as uh, Latino Christian leaders, that we were largely absent when they were needing our solidarity and our help as Asian American Christians and Asian American Christian leaders to speak on I- issues of justice that affected their communities. And I think that's totally fair. And one of the things that we're hoping that this statement does is that it serves as an artifact for future generations to say, look at the signatories. Look at, you know, how many people from all these different backgrounds uh, across racial representation showed up uh, to to sign their name onto something that was plaguing primarily our community. And when they need to say, hey, you know, we were there when you said Asian lives matter. We want you here with us when we say Black Lives Matter or mm-hmm. Brown Lives Matter or Native Lives Matter. And we, we hope that we can count on you then. And my hope is that people will look at this statement who are, who are more than eager to jump on, especially from the Asian American community, uh, will lend their voice and their support. To uh, other communities of color moving forward.
0: Yeah, so that's the question. Is so I I signed it, and you know I felt good about myself, and you know you post it to Facebook, and you sit back, and you're like, well, there we go. Well, I did a thing that was helpful. But is that actually helpful? Like, help me understand. And if it's not, I don't care if you rip me apart. It's totally fine. But is it actually helpful to to sign this? What does it actually do to help my neighbor? Yeah, that's.
3: Eddie, thank you for signing it. I think, uh, first of all, for a lot of people to sign a statement like this, especially within the Asian American Christian community, but even well beyond, it it is a big step for them. And social media being the public that it is right now, to share it is also a big step. There is a great deal of risk for many of us when we express our convictions about loving our neighbors that appear to some to be too political or controversial. So I think you know, thank you for that. It's a step. Mm. And I, I would hope that we all have the grace to bear with each other as we recognize people are, are in different places on different issues and on a journey that we, if we think we're hardcore activists, which I've never thought of myself as. I
0: think you might. We didn't. I think you walked into it. I think you are now. <laughs> yeah.
3: But we didn't start there and none of us were born there we learned right we learned and made mistakes and and progressed and learned to love our neighbors some more even in costlier ways so so i think it does matter and then i think the the website that's tied to the statement has a lot of resources there as well so that we can hope people will learn and, and engage and we're desiring also if we can to build not only one community of a collaboration but Multiple communities of people who want to engage as church leaders, people who want to engage within higher education, et cetera. So I would just want to say, you know, to affirm you and anyone else who's wondering, it didn't seem to cost me much. Does it matter? I say, yes, it matters. Um, Don't stop there. Continue going, learning growing and reaching out to your neighbors
2: yeah i was going to affirm that <clears throat> what jay said because um, i think many of us uh who have been in or are in more evangelical settings will be really familiar with this hard line between what's considered theological or spiritual and what's considered political mm. there's this uh, sacred and mundane split which I, I don't know a lot of theologians who would sustain that kind of a split the way that it's framed now. That there there are things political that we should never touch because, you know, quote unquote Jesus was not political. That can, you know, speaking for myself at this point, that's not a theological position that I I find very helpful. So whenever someone signs it, um That's a way of pushing back against a kind of theology that leaves bodies out of the theological picture, that leaves political systems, nations out of the the, the theological picture. And so I think that that can be helpful. The flip side of that is when we do stop at kind of social media activism, then we're still also forgetting bodies. So it requires us to move forward to express in concrete, tangible ways our, our, our real support um standing by others when they protest, which is why we're so incredibly glad for the signatories that have taken up the statement with us um they're They're so diverse, and we see that and we see you, you know I'm speaking out into the ether now, and we yeah. see you having signed this, and we couldn't be more grateful and it causes us to both aspire to be present physically, and it also reminds us that many people have come before us. Uh, in, in order to teach us how to do some of this
1: work. Yeah, and I think beyond just uh, seeing, signing, and sharing the statement, which is helpful in and of itself, yeah. uh, I think one of the other things is that you know people actually facilitate conversations around the statement, right? Mm-hmm. Because there's a lot of disbelief when it comes to uh, anti-Asian racism. Like, oh, there's no, there's no such thing as anti-Asian racism. Uh, a lot of people believe that there's no discrimination against our communities. um, And that's clearly not true. But one of the things that we've been encouraged by is seeing pastors the week weekend after uh, we released a statement actually cite our statement in their sermon. Uh, We've also been encouraged by elder boards reading our statement and then talking about it within their communities, even communities where they have only one Asian American couple uh, in their congregation and about you know, let's say like 50 or 60 or a 100 in their small kind like of regional area um, and taking that statement, reading it, talking through it and saying, you know what, if it hurts one person within our community, we need to address this and we're going to send out an email to all of our uh, congregants to talk about why we supported this and then link the statement back to, uh, link the statement to the email that they sent out. You know, and so we've been encouraged to see, you know, everything from small churches to um, to major seminaries, write their own statements after they write our statements. To uh, to small church pastors, to large church pastors, using our statement to to speak on the issue and say, you know what, this is a a biblical issue. You know that has been unnecessarily unnecessarily politicized because people put more of their identity in their political partisanship than they do in their faith, which is. Uh, actually research that was done by Stanford and Dartmouth professors, yeah. and that needs to move backwards, and we need to change that in order to help the church move forward on a lot of issues that we've been stuck in, namely around race.
0: I want to close with this, and I, I appreciate those the thoughtful replies, but people, uh, you know, who are hearing this, and I, I, I would imagine there is a good number of people that are hearing terms like yellow peril and model minority and are reading this statement for the first time and are really uh, having their bell rung by this. And I'm so grateful for AACC that, that the website continues to progress and you know like the other day i was like i have to ask them about books and there it is there's a book list so now i don't have to bother you (laughs) about what book should i be reading like it's right there in front of me but i'm curious about people who are hearing this and they're hearing this conversation and they're like their hearts are churning and their instinct is to go and talk to their asian-american friend and just have that friend just just try to import their entire experience and so and, and so it comes from a really well-meaning place, but I've also heard from many of my friends who are like, man, that is a burden after a while. And just to kind of close with this, like, how would you ask someone to navigate both the, the desire to have those conversations and also for, uh, you know, for our Asian American friends that don't want to always be that person for all of their newly woke friends?
3: That's really good. I, I, I want to, I want to answer that, I think, as a pastor. And the reason I said that I have never thought of myself as an activist is because I think that um, as a Christian and as a pastor, there will be times that I have to probably engage what looks like activism, and you can call it that. But ultimately, for me, it is about loving those whom God sends my way. And these are my family, and when we approach it in that way, I think the Church— has a lot of resources that can enable us to move forward and not simply to make the same mistakes over and over, or to fall into the same divides that characterize our surrounding society. And and with that, I think, I look at my own journey, and this may not be exemplary for everybody, but, you know, there were times when I had to be the person of color or the Asian American in the white institution. Or in the all-white classroom. And that is quite a heavy burden. Uh, and in the church, I think we have to be really mindful of people who carry that burden on top of all that they already face in daily life. So, so that's a very wise and loving consideration. Uh, at the same time though, there, there is also opportunity for community nowadays where we can help each other to grow and learn. And, and I think if not for those people who I had to ask permission from to say, hey, I'm struggling, Like, I really grew up in this space where I didn't have exposure to this or that issue or people from such and such background. You know, would it be okay to talk about it? And maybe not more than you can handle, but for you to help me understand. And there were so many people who did Hmm. help me to understand. I would want people in the churches especially to know that you can go— to the website and continue to learn and grow, but also connect with people, connect with us leaders of the AACC, and we'll desire to help uh, wherever you're at, to connect you with folks who can help you learn and grow. And, you know, I think about that, and now I have been on the protests, you know, with Black Lives Matter. I have been at the shutting down of Michigan Avenue in Chicago, and I've been at prayer rallies in front of police stations. Um, And that didn't happen overnight. And I'm not even saying that that itself is the goal, but to stand with my brothers and sisters and to have so many of them uh, stand with me, uh, that has been a process that has taken a lot of grace. And in the, in the church, I believe that we have the resources to do that together. We just need to be gracious, patient, humble, and, and stick with it for the sake of
2: Jesus. I think part of this too, and Jay, that was great. And yeah. um, I think part of this is our posture towards these questions to begin with if someone is listening today thinking that by getting one data point they can get the whole picture Hmm. uh, we've got to change that perception i know what it feels like at this point uh, for people to purport to speak for me uh, to, to narrate the asian experience in such a way that i think to myself that's not my experience and i resent the fact that someone is claiming to represent me and I'm sure that there are listeners now who are thinking what these three guys are talking about is not related to my own experience or mm. it's, ne- it's completely inadequate. Oh. Um, there are many data points. And so our posture must be constant learning and openness to hear more stories of pain that we haven't heard before. And to know that I don't have the whole picture and I, and I won't, um, but I can act faithfully like Jay was just described, just act faithfully where we are with the data that we have um, listening carefully to the pain that I've just heard and stewarding that story for the sake of the betterment of the person who told me
0: it, it has been a privilege to sit here with um, these three pastors I feel <laughs> I feel like I could ask anything in the world and be a better person at the other side of it um, and so I, I guess to to just close the conversation is there anything that I didn't ask or should have asked or is there anything that before we go and read the statement and sign it and we all continue on our individual, yet collective journeys together. Is there anything else that, that the, the hearers of our conversation should know. I suppose
2: I would have an encouragement. I, I think if if you're a, a listener of this podcast, um, number one, um, if you haven't already listened to the related episodes on race, which I, I, I took the time to do that today, uh, Michelle Higgins is so incredibly uh, oh, yes. profound and prophetic. And Latasha Morrison's uh, podcast is so helpful. These, these oh, yes. uh, Black women who have addressed issues of race have been so incredibly helpful um, before uh, we got on this podcast podcast. And the content, we, we owe them a debt uh, mm. f- for both their work and um, their wisdom. And um, the second thing is that, uh, you know, if you're a young listener um, it, and you're feeling like your voice is not, uh, uh, it doesn't carry a lot of weight in, in your organization or in, in your church or in your community, we want to encourage you that you will become the stewards of the stories that you're listening to here. Uh, I feel like I'm entrusting to your listeners the kinds of stories that we're sharing. And uh, we would love for you to, to join us, be faithful to the stories that you've heard and um, to act faithfully uh, for, for God's sake.
3: I'm going to um, build on what Jeff said and offer some encouragement, too, because I also want to let Ray, as president, uh, get the last word out of the three of us here. But um, hmm. for the general listening folks, I think on the heels of Easter Sunday, there's no better time for us to remember that our faith is bodily. That our hope is in what Jesus is doing to make all things new, and that includes the remaking of us even in our bodies which uh, which matter, and yet even in that day when all things are made new we'll re- our bodies will retain their distinction, their difference, you know um, the uniqueness that we each have as as people, whether people of color or just people, uh, will remain and that is part of the power of how Jesus works through His people. And so, I want to encourage folks with that. But I think also, for those who might be listening uh, as people of color, wondering how they, they can think through some of these things for themselves, you know, I, I want to just also honor those who have gone before us to blaze a trail, and whether it's in activism or through the church or both, Have found ways as Asian Americans, uh, people like Grace Lee Boggs, um, or even people who are in the church, um, like we're trying to do right now. You know, there have been so many who have carved out a way of engaging these issues that is true to who they are. And and that's going to take hard work, it's going to take community. But I want to encourage folks to do that. You know, it's not going to be the best thing for us. To simply engage in the way someone from another group would, or engage in the way someone from another time period did. But but we need to do the hard work of learning and in community uh, to discern how we can be involved in ways that are faithful to who God made us to be. And I think what mm-hmm. I'm trying to express is that the three of us, of course, many more in our team, our team is, is much larger than the three of us. There are some great women leaders, there are some great folks who helped draft a statement. Um, all of us are struggling and trying to be faithful in ways that are true to who we are. And I would encourage folks, especially our Asian American folks right now, to consider that, that they don't do it in a vacuum and they're not the first to do it, uh, but we all have the hard work that we need to do um, to engage uh, for the sake of the world in a a manner that is faithful to who we are.
1: Mm. I'm so grateful for uh, each of my brothers here because every time they speak, uh, my soul is nourished and I hope that (laughs) everyone who's listening um, just hears their pastoral hearts, yeah. because what we're ultimately wanting is for the church to be the church. Yeah. We want discipleship to not be truncated anymore, where the burden is oftentimes on the already marginalized communities and the people within our communities. And what we're hoping for is that we don't live into a uh, false unity that's predicated upon a false justice, but a true unity that's predicated upon a true justice that's rooted deeply in the heart of what God desires for us. And so uh, as we look into the kingdom, one of the things that we're seeing more and more is that you can't advance the kingdom of God without pushing through the major barriers and hurdles of race and racialization and racism. And we hope that as people, who are listening in, uh, continue to excavate and to explore, uh, to come to watering holes like this podcast and to truth table and to be the bridge and to the witness and to the front porch and all these other wonderful resources that are out there, that they'll be able to drink deeply from what these communities have to offer. Because a lot of times these communities, uh, demonstrate what true faithfulness looks like in the midst of enduring through hardship um and through pressing on uh, on on in faithfulness in the midst of great opposition and so uh i echo what uh what my friends here are saying and we hope that people would find us to be a helpful watering hole as well uh, they can come and drink deeply so that they can understand a little more about the the beauty of god's Infuse diversity within the kingdom of the, within the kingdom that he's establishing, and that uh, that that he purchased with the with the life, death, and resurrection of his son, and and we hope that we can help in advancing Christian witness here in this uh, in this society and in this world through highlighting the the many gifts and the many things that God has uh, provided to the Asian American community. To contribute to the broader church as well. And so into the broader body. And so we, we hope that we can serve as an encouragement to anyone who's looking to, uh, learn more. Again, that's www.AsianAmericanChristianCollaborative.com, uh, or the ampersand, uh, AA Christ Collab. Uh, or the at sign AACrist collab on any of the major social media platforms and you'll be able to hear directly from uh, both Jeff, Jay and, 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 and several others including Michelle Reyes who serves as our Vice President uh, and, and who are going to continue to provide articles, podcasts, resources, videos that will hopefully advance uh, God's Kingdom here on this earth.
0: Well, I am deeply grateful for Ray, Jeff, and Jay for their wisdom, for their leadership, for challenging us and for giving us an opportunity to respond with the statement on anti-Asian racism in the time of COVID-19. I do hope that you will read that statement and consider what it may mean for your next steps. A link to the AACC and the statement are in the show notes. I will also put everything on the New Activist social and website. Again, all of that will be uh, in the notes. You'll find it. A huge thanks, of course, to Propaganda, who scored today's episode. Make sure to find out more about Prop and his music at prophiphop.com. This is a great time to support your favorite musicians. And my sincere thanks for you for listening to this show. I hope that you are healthy and well. And for those of you who are serving in our schools... And our front lines and the hospitals and as first responders, a very deep and special thank you. And with that, we go back into the world. On behalf of the Asian American Christian Collaborative, as well as my colleagues at International Justice Mission, I am Eddie Koffel. Take care, friends.